D23 has come and gone in Disney, Marvel, Star Wars. They've revealed all, and so did Renera Targaryen. It's just another nerd show right after this. You should just cue the music. Hello there. I am Iron Man. I am your father. I'm Batman. Why so serious? I know, right? If you think it's nerdy, we got you covered. Tell me, do you play it? Oh, no, no, that's not a question I need to answer. Just take my money already. Just do it. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. So dark. The Ajana from the DC Universe. We know each other. She's a friend from work. We were doing it everywhere. And I mean everywhere. At the office. After hours. Over the phone. On the weekend. Get your head out of the gutter. We were talking about comic books, shows, and movies. I can do this all day. Yeah, I know. So now we bring you Just Another Nerd Show with Jason Whistle and Kevin Hilston. What is up, Nerd Nation? Just Another Nerd Show is back. And who do we have a lot to talk about? Because D23 has happened and we got a whole lot revealed but before we get into all of that news and trust me there was a lot to talk about it's review time because house of the dragon episode four dropped kev hilsey your thoughts on episode quattro i I thought it was a strong episode it not my favorite of the show in fact it might rank fourth of the four on initial like kind of initial basis but everybody is mad horny uh especially (laughs) Rhaenyra Rhaenyra has it's like she just discovered sex and she's like I want you I want you I want you are we related yes I don't care I want you like it's just it's a fuck fest (laughs) it's great well Targaryens are going to Targaryen and you, you you had to know Right, because of course, in the first season of Game of Thrones, we had uh, Daenerys and her brother. You know, I don't, I don't remember if they actually did anything, but it was definitely implied. Um, but I mean, here's the thing: first, first things first. I I do appreciate that this is not the strongest of the four episodes thus far. Uh, it's one of those you know infamous times in Westeros where everyone talks a lot Uh, but I will say that I think as far as well it may not be an overall strong episode so far as far as this first season goes it's definitely I think one of the strongest episodes for Alicent Hightower who got a lot of character development in this one like we got to see a lot of the weight of the queenhood thrust upon her and she doesn't seem too happy with the everything that's going around yeah, there was that that look. Um, when whenever you take in content like this, there's something that sticks with you as a viewer. It can be a Starbucks cup that you notice in the background, and then you're like, "I just can't focus on anything else." Mm-hmm. It can be those two green fingers in the last episode. But mm-hmm. I gotta say, this episode, it was the look when Viserys was fucking his wife. <laughs> and Allison is just dead in inside. It's like mm-hmm. it's something Rhaenyra said earlier in the episode where she goes, I don't want to be just some baby machine. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but she's like, I don't want to yeah. be some baby machine that's locked away in a tower. And Allison immediately goes, holy shit, that's me. Like yep. she's literally a baby factory for the king right now, and basically his will. Like I, I knew it was so cringe when it was happening too, because it was like she was sleeping 
uh, a, a servant wakes her up and then says the king requests you and she goes oh it's late like it's it, it's just a very like game of thrones way of saying no i don't want it tonight no no it's late no <laughs> the, the, oh, I'm tired. That, that, is, that is the uh westeros version of fucking time is it the fuck you say <laughs> <laughs> there's a magazine but, go do it yourself like yeah no <laughs> yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty much pretty much you know just go watch two dragons going at it okay will you please you know but i mean it really was i mean obviously uh Rhaenyra's storyline continuing on and Damon continuing to play you know Targaryen chess as it were in a very very creepy incestuous kind of way I mean it's a Game of Thrones series it's in the world of Westeros you're going to expect things to definitely not be above the level um but Take away the whole Damon setting up Renera to be um, sullied, which I find, by the way, I find an interesting term because they did use that term in the show. Mm-hmm. Remember that Daenerys, of course, was queen of the unsullied or the freer of the unsullied. So, you know, there, there's, again, a foreshadowing there of her eventual um, error down the road kind of thing, because it's very clear that. You know, Rhaenyra is the template for what Daenerys became. But when she got back to the castle and she started toying with Kristen Cole, A, how much armor does he wear? But B, that was a really, really sweet scene between the two. And we mentioned it last episode, you know, the, the chemistry between Kristen Cole and uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen. And this really came to fruition. And I and it's going to be really, really odd next episode because we have the engagement of Renera to, um, uh, it's escaping me now, uh, Valerian's son. But you know, how's Kristen Cole going to feel about this? Probably not very good. And how's Damon going to be feeling about this? Because Damon asked for Renera's hand, albeit mm-hmm. kind of on his back, getting kicked down by uh, Viserys. Mm-hmm. But that's the first hint um, towards anything possibly foreshadowing. I'm trying not to spoil anything, but obviously we know that there is a strong bond between Damon and Rhaenyra, and they're doing mm-hmm. a great job of showing that in the show. And be thankful. Be thankful that we have Millie Alcock and... Uh, this young Allison Hightower, I can't remember the actress's name for life Emily of me. Carey. Thank you, Emily Carey. Um, and she's doing a fantastic job too. But all mm-hmm. the kids are going to be aged up. They're all going to be replaced by older actors after next episode. So we have one more episode of Billy Alcock, and then that's it. Um, you know, it's 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 funny when I first saw the cast of House of the Dragon announced, and they announced that Olivia Cook was going to be it. I was like, okay, she's great. Loved her in Ready Player One. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be sad to see Emily Carey go as we as we move on in age. Because, but can we give some as, love to the casting director who casted oh, the older versions of these characters first, and then went out mm-hmm. and found Emily Carey and found Millie Alcock? And oh my God, when you see side by side comparisons, they are the same person. Oh yeah, absolutely! <laughs> it's absolutely. incredible. Yeah. Um, 
one big thing about Viserys, and as as I'm watching with my wife, Gary, uh, you know, listeners of this show, and uh, it's not that bad. We'll know her very well. Um, you know, she's she was asking me after the episode. It's like, you know, what do you think of the king, Viserys? And I'm like, he he doesn't want to be king. I think I think he likes you know the the power of being the king. But there's a lot that that is that comes with being the king, and he really. It's clear there's a reason why the throne is cutting him. You know, he is not up to the task of doing everything that is required of a king of the realm, and we're seeing that more and more. And in this episode specifically, there's the now you have the almost the paranoia coming in, where you think that everyone around you is out to get you more often than not in Westeros you're probably right but it, it, you really start to see the 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 circle closing and he doesn't know who to turn to I think the only person he feels he can turn to is Alicent and the only problem is Alicent doesn't mind listening to him definitely does mind being under him but I mean I I just don't know because we'll see if that book. trust is shaken, though, because mm. the trust with Viserys and Otto Hightower has been severed at the moment. And mm. I don't know if the king will ever be able to look at Alicent the same way, knowing what he knows now, knowing that, you know, she is obviously she's always going to be loyal to her father mm-hmm. and that she was kind of a plant. She was planted there. Um and it was all orchestrated by Otto. And look, it's not confirmed whether or not Otto orchestrated this whole thing. But God damn. It's definitely alluded like, to. I'm just saying, I'm thinking, because I'm also watching Suits right now. And I always think of things from like a lawyer perspective. And I'm like, man, Viserys has all these facts. And he's throwing them at Otto Hightower. And even I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I think Otto did it. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's this, this. Like, you got to think about it. What does he throw in his face? He's like, okay, so my wife is mourning. You sent Alicent in there with the same dress that her mother wore so that it was familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And then I started to gain feelings for Alicent. Then you started to push me to remarry because it's my kingly duty. And then you may have kind of persuaded me that this was a good idea to marry like a 10 year old or a 12 year old. And of course I was going to be disgusted by that. So of course the only person that I tolerate right now and actually kind of have feelings for is Alison Hightower. So you're just trying to get um, uh, Targaryen blood, the Royal blood in Hightower um, in their lineage. And I'm like, right. Oh my God. Like the way he explains that, that whole story. I'm like, yeah, that sounds plausible. <laughs> And there's the thing, too, is that in marrying off Rhaenyra to House Valerian, um, it's going to clear the path for Aegon to become king. And if Viserys is already really paranoid, he's going to really start to put two and two together as to why Alicent always came to him after the death of the queen. It's... You're, I think you're going to see not just the physical decline, although we are starting to see that more and more um, in Viserys, in the scars and the, the healing, the, the, the wounds that are not healing. But I think you're going to start to see him go into a bit of manicness, whether it be the alcohol, whether it be the paranoia, whether it just be, 
you know, sheer anger uh, at his entire world collapsing, which makes sense when you consider that eventually we're going to get to the Mad King. Well, who is the Mad King, the blood of? Clearly the king that's going mad before us. Yeah, I'm going to protect him for a second because I'm actually, I understand why he makes a lot of the decisions that he does, like why he's been drinking. Um, I I know firsthand from people that have really hurt themselves that there are some people that turn to drink um, when they're in a lot of pain every day. And he clearly has stuff going on. Like when they take off his shirt and you see his back and you're like, oh my God, his condition's getting a lot worse. He's likely in a lot of pain every single day and he likely drinks so that he can feel some sense of normalcy, but it is also reflecting on his judgment. So there, there's a lot of different factors to to take into account. Then there's his kingly duties on top of that. And then uh, when Rhaenyra calls him out for, you know, uh, you're just playing the politics or whatever, like you have political pains in your ass. And he goes, you're my political pain in my ass. I'm paraphrasing again because I don't I don't yeah. know what the quote is. You're my political headache. Yes. Yeah. So he's got Rhaenyra being a teenager. Makes sense. Like teenage daughters. I can't even imagine. I don't have one, but I can only imagine that they're a bit of a headache sometimes. Um, and then you have your kingly duties. Then you have the pressure of, you know, kings. Uh, when they're portrayed in TV shows and movies often are are portrayed as these powerful rulers and they come across with this this larger than life attitude that nothing can touch them. Well, I think this king is the odd bit anxious and fearful because he knows that his days are numbered and he knows mm-hmm. that he has to produce a male heir and he knows that he's now appointed Rhaenyra when maybe the people don't agree with that choice. He's got a lot of people voicing their opinions and not a whole lot of people saying like, Hey man, you're doing a good job. So of course, when all you hear is criticism, you start to second guess your decisions and then you start to make bad decisions because your counsel mm-hmm is, you know, second guessing you at every turn or is or is offering you other suggestions, you start to second guess your own ideas that you've come up with. Feel free to tell me I'm wrong. That's just my observation. Oh, you're definitely not wrong. Um, I do have to point out, and we have, and over the course of reviewing this series this far, we have sung the praises of Patty Considine. We, we've sung the praises of Matt Smith, of Emily Carey, of Millie Alcock. And as much as I really, really appreciate what Emily Carey did in this episode, another huge shout out has to go to Recyphons because yeah. there, there was there was a lot going on for Otto Hightower in this, and it's not just you know having the the title of the king's hand being stripped from him. There's a moment where he's got to go in and tell his you know his king, you know the the man he is the hand of, you know the the closest advisor, you know a longtime friend that. Yeah, your daughter was caught trying to bang her uncle in a in a, in a downtown orgy, like that. That can't be, you know, that can't be an easy conversation, especially in a time when you say the wrong thing to the wrong person and it's your head, literally. Um, Reese Eifens approached this with such like it was it was a, an interesting restraint that he was showing during that scene because it's it really is the restraint of a friend 
who's telling him the news that he needs to hear, even though it's definitely not the news that he needs to hear. But he also can see that the king is starting to close the circle around him. And when the circle closes, the trust, you know, you know, those in the trusted circle are fewer and further between. Now he's outside the circle. Everything he has done thus far is to get the high towers, at least the high tower name, as close to the throne as possible, pushing his own young daughter to go, you know, console the king. You know, get close to him. Make, you know, wear this dress. Like it's, you know, it, it's creepy when you say it today, but I mean, in the world that we're talking about, that's the way. You know, this is the way of things, as they said in one of the, in an earlier episode. Um, now he's on the outside of the circle and I wonder how much of it's going to be anger for being pushed away and being stripped of the title or fearful for what his daughter might be going through. Yeah, I think the best way to put it is in this universe, it's women are currency and men are like show ponies, kind of like when I mean, when like the parents are trying to mate them, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, I have a daughter, we can join our houses, and your son is a very strong, suitable protector. Like, they were very complimentary towards the men, and the women, yeah, they didn't really see anything other than, like, what I said in the first part of our little talk here is, unfortunately, they were just kind of baby factories. It, I'm not saying it's right, I'm saying that our human history is mudded with this stuff, and uh, they're just trying to make a age-appropriate piece. Um but yeah, that's I, I like the direction that the show is going, man. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's getting to a place now where there's enough backstory and there's enough bad blood now developing. Yeah, I like the fact that aside, aside from being a well-produced series, well-shot series, well-scripted series, it's despite the fact that it is the, the land of Westeros, it feels like a much more compact story as opposed to what was going on with Game of Thrones because yeah. you had you had Jon Snow at the wall, you had them over here, you had them over there. At one point, you had someone in this, you know, very... Um, like It was all over the place and it wasn't until like you got to the end when everyone was kind of back at King's Landing. Here, it's, it's a very confined story. Uh, it's a very small chess game as opposed to the 3D chess that Game of Thrones was starting to play by about the second and third season. Like, like once the, you know, once the Starks were out of King's Landing, you had almost like the, you know, the Return of the Jedi level where you had a story over here and a story over here and a story over here. Mm-hmm. Here, it's very central, which makes it easier to follow, I find, than some of those episodes of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and it's pre-Game of Thrones, right? Like, Game of Thrones mm. is... It, it, you hit it right on the uh, the nail, right on the coffin, that it, it is very much a entangled story of a, of a coming together, whereas House of the Dragon feels a lot like that last season of Game of Thrones. There is kind of mm. two locations. There's kind of two main characters, but there's really one main plot. There's actually there's kind of three main characters, and I would say they're all Targaryen too. I'd say you got mm-hmm. Rhaenyra, who's clearly the one A on the show. You got Viserys and and whatever he's doing in his political gain, and then we catch up with Daemon Targaryen once in a while. That's kind of the three main storylines. I know Alicent sometimes has a has a a bit of a side storyline, but it mainly coexists with uh, Viserys's um, political 
stuff that he's doing is king. I don't I don't know all the formal mm. royalty words, man. I mean, I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, as you watch different shows or movies, you always have that question of oh, this. This is a good role. But if I could just recast the person, there isn't a single person in this series that I would recast each and every single one of them is is chef's kiss casting in this entire series. Ooh, I want to see. I want, I'm I'm trying to think if there's somebody that I can prove you wrong about. I would make Danny DeVito one of the dragons. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. No, just watch just me no. flap my wings. Ah. <laughs> I don't know. You you were borderline Gilbert Gottfried there. Yeah, that was. Is, that was. Is this my breath smell? Is it hot? Ah! <laughs> there was there was some guy some guy that said you know uh, uh, he was like he's like man I want Gilbert Gottfried to be he want I want him to read my audiobook one day and I was like are you fucking kidding me that's the worst idea ever that sounds so like he's such like an aggressive speaker like it's, it's there um, was there was a video done where Gilbert Gottfried was reading. Uh, and it was like more a joke, but it was doing the audiobook version of Fifty Shades of Grey. And it's just so wrong, but just oh, so damn funny. I, I can just, just imagine, imagine that, like, and then he caressed the back of my neck. Like, it's <laughs> just the whole. Oh, you, if, if, listeners, if you have not found this video of Gilbert Godfrey doing the audiobook of Fifty Shades of Grey, do yourself a favor. It is one of the funniest three minute videos you're going to find out there today. Just, just enjoy. Anything just Gilbert Gottfried. He has one of those voices. It's just, oh, amazing. Can you, can you imagine Gilbert Gottfried doing the table read for this last episode? <laughs> I want him to narrate something. That would be cool. <laughs> Damon a... takes Renera down to the horror house. And then he starts to get busy with his niece. It's his niece. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You've got me so sidetracked now. You know what? Let's go completely <laughs> off book here. So we talked about House of the Dragon. We know that D23 was last weekend. But before mm-hmm. we get to that, we have some other news uh, that will help fill up this block nicely. And then we'll have the second block for all your Disney needs. You mean it's not going to be just me doing Gilbert Gofford imitations for another 20 minutes before we get I'm to trying news? to move on, damn it. <laughs> I'm trying. Save our listeners for the love of God. Save I'm them trying. now. Um, okay. You lead World us through this. DC. This is your baby. Yeah. World of DC. Because uh, it can't seem to go a week without some DC news. Uh, and if I was Gilbert Gofford, I'd be going, what the hell are you doing, DC? Because Gotham Knights began production on on the remainder of the series for the season. Um, I remember seeing the, the the teaser for what they did for the pilot episode, and I remember us talking about it, and it looked like crap. What? What the hell are you doing, DC? <laughs> Seriously, um, I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the cast or the producers or the directors or anything, but. Is this the direction they want to go? Seriously? I don't think this is a good idea. Nope. And that's the nice way of putting it. In my own words. Gotham Knights, if you ever look it up on YouTube, 
the trailer for it. It might be, I think, Wes, you and I watched it together, right? Gotham Knights? Or did you send it yeah. to me? Something, something I, like that. We, I we watched can't it within, remember. We watched it within a minute of each other. Mm-hmm. And I fully remember we both had the exact same reaction that it looked like a poor man's Riverdale Archie, uh, just a combination of all the worst. I know Riverdale has a big following, so I'm not going to say it's a bad yeah. piece, but just that. And, and for, that and for tone. what Riverdale is, and for what Riverdale is, they actually put some good actors in those roles yeah, uh, and cater to that audience, which is totally fine, completely fine. Like as much as I may not be a Riverdale fan, I could appreciate what they're trying to do. And, and I mean, as far as the it. cast, as far as the cast goes, Misha Collins is, Har- is Harvey Dent is a great call. And I liked the idea of them bringing in uh, the character of Carrie Kelly uh, because I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, like there, there's building blocks here, but I just find it really, really weird because we're about to have the launch of the Gotham Knights video game, which looks phenomenal. I love the idea of that game. You know, like very much the, 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 the Rocksteady production there where it's like, you know, the very similar to the Arkham Asylum games, but in this case, Batman is dead. So it's up to like the Red Hood and Nightwing and Batgirl. And like you, you have to play as these other characters and you, but you're still getting a lot of Arkham City, Arkham Asylum style gameplay. That's great. Well, that that's because put- if you, if you finish the storyline for Batman Arkham Knight, like if you got it a hundred percent done, you entered the Nightfall Protocol which is Batman going back to his mansion and blowing it up. And then he either goes into hiding or whatever it is. Uh, they never really confirm if he's dead or mm-hmm. not. But but the, the headline does say Bruce Wayne was Batman and Batman is now gone. Like, And that's yeah. essentially, to my understanding, that's where this game picks up. Yeah. and But the thing is, it's called Gotham Knights. And the series is called Gotham Knights and has nothing to... If they did a series based on the video game, oh, that would be do that. Apparently, you're asking too much by asking that, though. Like, God forbid, <sighs> we get a a perfectly accurate like when these writers sit in a room together. Why can't they just say what is the one thing, one storyline, or one concept that the fans have either been itching? Or if we announce it, are going to be itching for the full show. Mm-hmm. I feel like they miss that sometimes. I feel like with this, they go, okay, us as creative individuals, what what do we want to do? What do we want to make? And guess what? For us who have been reading comic books since we were in goddamn diapers, stop doing stuff for yourself and mm-hmm. start catering to the fans. Marvel's been doing that. Marvel's been doing a good job of that. Now they're straying from it because they're letting their directors have creative freedom. It doesn't point. work. Uh, yes, to a point. They're still doing a lot of fan service, but you're starting to see that, like, for example, like the, the, the I hate to keep harping on the, the, the newest Thor movie, but fans did not take well to that movie because it strayed a lot from the lore and... It was like a, a, it was like Taika Watiti'd all over this film. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was just jokes, 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 inside jokes, uh, long-term jokes, uh, bringing back more jokes. Like it, it was just, 
it was a lot of a lot, but it yeah. didn't feel marvelly enough. It felt like universal as a Thor movie goes. If it was better written, thank God, like it would have been great because it was it was a grand scale, and I love that they had mm-hmm. like an Olympus level thing. But we got to stay on track here, and we got to keep giving the fans what they want. If you've seen this trailer, I feel like I have to like describe it for people. It feels like a high school drama. It doesn't feel yeah. like a DC project. It doesn't like I want it to feel like Arrow, like The Flash, like Legends of Tomorrow. None of those felt like some high school shitty drama. Yes, they had witty jokes and a little bit of banter. Uh, not so much Arrow. Arrow was like a serious show. But you got to find that tonality. And then if you want, I'm sure that's what they're going to do eventually with Gotham Knights is you got to franchise it. You got to spin off a little bit, ha- let them have their own shows. Sure. But let them have their own personalities and their own tones when they go back to their shows. But you're still servicing the fans. That's what we're forgetting now in this day and age. And it's not even like it's just like us, you know, the two of us looking at this trailer going, yeah, no, pass. It was almost universally panned. And they're like, yeah, we're still going to go with it. What? Yeah, that's the wrong way to go about it, man. You shelved Batgirl. And you're going with this? Nah. Everyone's bummed nah. about Bat- Batgirl as well. Like, Brennan Fraser well, won't, he won't really talk about it, but he was like, I was really proud of my Firefly. Michael Keaton was like, he's like, I don't really want to talk about it. Like, because I think everyone's very afraid to shit on DC, like all mm-hmm. the actors, because they're like, well, I could still get roles for it. Like, especially Michael Keaton, because he's got the Flash coming up. Um, but he goes, yeah, it's a business decision. That was the words that he used. He goes, it's a business decision. Like, of course, that's what your publicist told you to say. (laughs) And that's the thing, too. DC isn't pulling any punches whatsoever. Um, At TIFF recently, uh, it was just this week at the the Toronto International Film Festival. uh, There was a filming at at, uh, or a screening at one of like the midnight showings of a movie called The People's Joker. It's a completely unauthorized, like very independent um, look at a different Joker and Warner Brothers came in and said yeah get that the fuck off the screens and basically put the halt on everything like they're they're not messing around and they're still cutting like there was I think about another hundred layoffs at least in ads and sales and whatnot like it's 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 gotta be one of those things where you walk in and like you know tables and desks are on fire and people are running around with looted office equipment over their shoulder kind of thing because they know it's time to get the hell out um i think the best analogy for this was feel free to correct Mm. me if i'm wrong i think the best analogy for this is it, it dc right now is like it's in a home reno and there's somebody walking around saying we're gonna knock down this wall i like the kitchen island where it is we're gonna make this open concept we're going to completely break this down, um, but I want this there instead. Like, this is kind yeah. of what it feels like. It feels like somebody is walking around and pointing at certain things, and it's just kind of their opinion. This is why the Gotham Knights is being kept and why Batgirl is not, even though Batgirl got the same test review, um, or sorry, test screening reviews as Black Adam, saying that it was underwhelming and kind of actionless, like it, that it was just kind of... There was no, no stakes. It, did, it felt like a little too mono. Um, yet yeah. Batgirl was getting shelved. And because Dwayne Johnson sells his movies, 
we all know which one kept. Um, but yeah, yeah it, it feels like a home reno. It's, that's all it is. Hey, although that being said, I do have some positive talk here. Hey, uh, Titans. Titans season four and it's even positive DC talk. Go figure. Yeah. Titans season four has found their Lex Luthor. I Titus, love this casting. Titus Welliver. Yeah. I mean, it, he's not physically who I first think of. I mean, I mean, I have gone on this show and my other show, you know, praising the idea of Stanley Tucci as Lex Luthor. But this is a damn good casting. And it's not even like it's his first foray in DC because he was the voice of Carmine Falcone in the animated Batman The Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2. So he's a known commodity when it comes to DC. Like, Titans is the way to go. Titans is good. Titans is everything that a comic book fan wants out of a DC series. It's, It's, do that. Seriously, just do that. <laughs> I think the Titan show has actually been really strong. If anyone's like not into it, haven't heard of it, I've only seen the trailer, I've been meaning to get around to it. No, I'm telling you right now, Titans is a good show. And it's mm-hmm. because it's allowed to have a little bit more creative freedoms because when they did the Arrowverse, and I'm bringing it all back to this again, the Arrowverse, when mm. they had Crisis on Infinite Earths, They established in one of the scenes in the final episode of that crossover that the Titans are on their own Earth. Stargirl is on her own Earth. The Green Lantern Corps show that got scrapped or is on hold permanently or whatever is happening with that is on a different Earth. So they're Mm -hmm. they're trying to establish that not that there's no stakes with uh, all these big mega crossover stuff. But the fact that Titans has creative freedom, that they've casted their own Batman, that they can do all the different Robins, they can do Oracle, they can do Batwoman, Batgirl, they can do all these characters. And because it's in its own universe and has its own following and has its own fandom, it's just that much richer. So I'm loving Titus Welliver as Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just going to be such a great casting, and I hope he's well-written. Like, Lex Luthor's have been strong in the past and and I even have a little bit of appreciation for Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor I think he wasn't greatly written said no one ever I I actually know I'll defend him he's not he's by far not the best Lex Luthor but I think he gets a lot of hate in a universe where he's not even the worst character in that universe let's be honest Jared Leto's Joker is the worst Joker of anyone to ever Joker Um, oh god and it's not even close like but but anyways uh, it, it's amazing how in that universe you can knock it so far out of the park with Henry Cavill, with Harley Quinn, with Wonder Woman. Like, there's just some excellent spot-on castings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll even defend and I'll even defend Ben Affleck as well. I think he was fine. I don't think he Batman was an issue. wasn't bad, given yeah. the era of Batman that they were going for. And and there's the thing, like I, if you have not gone down titans road yet and you see the title and your first thought is teen titans go no not the case no 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 i mean teen titans go is fun don't get me wrong you know if you're looking for a good silly laugh or something to watch with your kids go for it literally in the first episode first episode of the show we get robin dick grayson robin like beating the crap out of some criminals and they're like you're not batman and he beats the crap out of them and then he kind of wipes the blood off his face and then he goes 
fuck Batman. Like, is that not a like a tone setter, man? <laughs> is that, oh, like, absolutely. The, it, that, that was different. the gauntlet thrown down right there. And yeah. I think Brenton Thwaites was the perfect the perfect casting for that. Yeah. Um, huge kudos to their casting of Raven. Like that that was spot on. Yeah, like, they found her down you under. You could not have gotten. Yeah, you could not have found better. Um, so Titans is doing really, really well. Uh, there is another DC note that I want to get to, but we're going to get to that a little bit later. Um, video game news, though. I had to bring this up. Goldeneye. Ooh. One of the best N64 games of all time. Go ahead and at me on that one. I'll fight that one. I'll fight for that one to the death. It is solid. It's coming to the Switch with online multiplayer. And right now, there's a bunch of old like N64 players going, I'm going to buy that game. Um, but it's it's continuing a trend of all these old games being ported over to newer systems. And two things here for you. One, is this a trend that's going to keep going? Because let's be honest, there were some games back in the day that are, you know, people would, people are still playing some of those older games today. And is there something that you need to see ported? And I know there is, because you went on a Twitter tirade for a while. I was going to say, you know what game I want. (laughs) I know what game you want, but I'm going to let, I'm going to give you the microphone and let you put it right out on front street. I want the original star Wars battlefront Two remastered for PS five. I and I need online for it too because that's the other thing as well. It had an excellent campaign, bunch of fantastic missions you can go on. Um, it had a story mode as well as a campaign, which I know sounds controversial, but it actually is different. Um, it, it, it was just so fun to do. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I need that. But this GoldenEye game, like, I'll, I'll take it a step further. You say it's the greatest, arguably the greatest N sixty four game. I would say mm-hmm. it's top five games of all time. Wow. Like That's I, a I, big call. And I, I put Star Wars Battlefront 2 in there. I'll put mm-hmm. um, Batman Arkham City in there. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, this would be a good talk for another podcast because I'm not prepared for this at all, but I'm going off the top of my head. like that. <laughs> that would be three in there for sure. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think like Grand Theft Auto 5, but it's been around for 15 years. Like... Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, I know that they've been putting out, like, little compilation CDs or, or or game disc for, you know, the Pac-Man collection. And there was the Mega Man collection as well. Yeah. Uh, I know they're redoing Pac-Man World for, for PlayStation. Um, I know I'm personally excited because they're they're reporting Front Mission 1 and Front Mission 2 uh, for the Nintendo Switch. Because I'm a, I, you know me, I'm a big turn-based strategy guide. If it's got robots, I'm probably going to play it. Um. Um, but I just wonder if this trend of porting over old games is the backlash of these major triple A titles maybe not being everything that people want. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Most games that come out now, it's like you get the game, but then you got to get the season pass. So you get all the DLC and then you got to pay for this skin and then you got to pay for this and you got to pay for that. Like it's it's the game that never stops taking money out of your wallet. And I wonder if people are pulling back from that and going back to these all in one purchase price and you know the gameplay is good experiences. I think there's some truth in that. And as as you were saying it, I'm thinking, well, what's the big difference? 
when that kind of started, and I know it started way back, but when it really peaked, when like battle passes and DLCs and like add-ons and stuff, stuff you had to buy in game, um, for game games like uh, like a Fortnite where they got you they got you in it because it's free. But then you have to mm-hmm. get the battle pass to get all this extra stuff. And then you see all this online content of people having all the latest skins and having these emotes. And they're like, well, you need to put in, what is it, V-Bucks? You got to put in V-Bucks. Yeah. And then then you buy it in the store and you do this, do that, whatever. I think that was during, while everyone was locked inside, we needed multiplayer games. But now with mm-hmm. like GoldenEye and stuff, like... You can have your friends over and you can all play on one console. You can feel more comfortable knowing that you're seeing people on a daily basis. You could feel more comfortable playing one player games for nostalgic reasons. It's not a necessity. Like I know I, I and I thank the, the heavens every day that Call of Duty Warzone. Uh, listen, whatever state it's in right now, whatever listeners uh, play Call of Duty Warzone, whatever state it's in now. I mean, back in its prime, back at the beginning, Mm. it got me through COVID. Like I had my squad. It kept me close to my friends and we had some of the best nights of our life playing that game. It was just very fun, kept us together during a really difficult time when maybe we couldn't see each other. Um, So I I will thank that was that was another game. I'm not going to shit on all the games that battle passes and all the add ons and stuff because that was one of them. Yeah, but it, it. Served a purpose, and I agree with you 100%, Wiss. I think we are moving on as consumers. I think it's evolving yeah. a little bit, and maybe backwards. <laughs> and I mean, I, I do appreciate, like, the online aspect of a lot of these games really did get a lot of people through the last two and a half years. Um, but I remember um, when I was still doing the Made You a Mixtape podcast, and I had Tommy Tallarico on uh, as the guest. Say that and- name again. <laughs> Tommy Tallarico. Um, and at the time he was, he was working with Intellivision. They were, they were working their asses off to try and get the Intellivision Amico out. It still hasn't come out. And, and I really do hope that someday we do get to see this, but the, the whole selling point of that console was going to be the return of, as they put it, couch co-op. And I loved that idea. I mean, I, I remember growing up and you go to a friend's place for the sleepover and I guarantee you we were playing like Excite Bike and, and Super Mario Brothers all freaking night, like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. That's when we passed out because we just couldn't keep our eyes open anymore while we were waiting for Mario to keep jumping on the turtle so we could get infinite lives. It was just, you know, there was something about couch co-op. And games like Nintendo 64, or not, not to, but, but GoldenEye, really thrived on the concept of couch co-op. Everyone sitting together, everyone, you know, happily playing the same game, even though you're only seeing like a quarter of the screen because that, that's your window. But it, it was playing together with people that you knew. And while I appreciate the online uh, multiplayer aspect of GoldenEye is going to get a bunch of new fans in, I, those games, invite me over to play GoldenEye on the couch with you and, and we will have a good time. It'll be, that it, it's, it's the hanging out aspect that I think gamers today are missing. Not yeah. just playing online because that, that's just an avatar and a name and you have no clue sometimes who that person is. Not even but to mention, together. not even to mention as well that, 
during the era of multiplayer and playing online with your friends versus the couch uh, couch co-op, mm-hmm. there's also now a huge uptick in people that would rather watch other people play video games and watch professionals play video games rather than play online themselves. Personally speaking, like from the days of when I was gaming on a regular basis, my gaming skills are probably not where they used to be. So if I were to go hop online and play GoldenEye today, I would have my ass handed to me in about 2.3 seconds. I guarantee it. Because there's some guy who's been Fortniteing for the last 10 years, you know, sniping me down from wherever. I would rather just hang out, have a couple beers and a whole lot of laughs with a bunch of friends in the same room playing together. And if GoldenEye helps rebuild that aspect of gaming, all the power to it. Tell us what you guys think. Uh, you are listeners. Uh, make sure you hit us up at on Twitter at another nerd show. We got a lot still to talk about because D23 happened and they brought the news. So we're going to step away for a quick second. When we come back, all the D23 that there is to talk about. You've heard it all before. Waste of film. Dumpster fire. How did this even get Train made? Rack. Total garbage. Snooze fest. Utterly painful. Worst film ever. But is it really? The show is called It's Not That Bad, and we dare to look at the lowest rated shows and movies and see only the good things. We're looking for A grades in B movies. It's Not That Bad. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Just Another Nerd Show. It's still the name of the show, and it's not that bad or at least that's wrong show no 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 but at least that's what (laughs) you can tell us we've never asked this of you before but i will ask this time that if you like the show if you want to keep listening to the show let us know that you're enjoying it feel free to give us a rating give us a review follow us subscribe tell your friends tell your nonna tell your nonna tell your dad mom cousin your weird step brother okay not let's not go there but anyways <laughs> tell people man we we want to we want to keep bringing this content for you but we need to know that you guys love us just as much as we love you having said that <laughs> disney I was about to say, or we love hearing ourselves exactly disney dropped a load <laughs> on us wis they dropped a load and a half and it's called d23 fan expo do you want to run us through mm-hmm. the uh, the recap real quick, the Marvel recap? Okay, now I'm mean, we're gonna skip a couple of things because you know they would bring out some actors to talk about some of the products or some of the projects that are on slate, but you know nothing really new was revealed or things that we weren't in the room to be able to see. Like I know they showed some Quantum Mania vis and all, and we didn't get to see it yet, so we'll skip by some of that stuff. However, we did get a trailer. For Werewolf by Night, which is going to introduce us to Laura Donnelly. What did you think of that trailer? I mean, I loved it. I I think it's very, very cool. It's weird. Keep it in mind. weird. I mean, it it did have some old school horror slash grindhouse kind of vibes to it, which is really, really cool. But the fact that they're bringing Elsa Bloodstone, not the biggest character out there, but she's in Marvel Puzzle Quest. And there's a book, (laughs) there's a novel, there's an Elsa Bloodstone novel out there on the shelves right now. 
so you can read a little bit more about her. But the interesting thing about this film, this special, was the very, you know, ABC-esque, you know, a Marvel special presentation, and it was never listed in any of the phases. Now, I saw a rumor that they may have pulled the Blade cameo out of it, which leads me to wonder, is this them testing the waters of having non-phase specific content tossed into the Disney, the Disney Plus machine? I think that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> that's That was my, I, you stole my thought. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that I think mm-hmm. this is them dipping their toe in the water and saying, do we have to reveal everything and when it's coming? Or can we just give it a release date and then tell people, no, 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 look over here. This is the schedule. But yeah, we're going to give you this as well at some point. Like, I think what they're trying to do And it's the struggle with the streaming wars right now is keeping subscriptions, keeping people interested long enough to never cancel their subscription. That's the point of them pushing back Andor so that it didn't overlap with She-Hulk. It's because it didn't work with Miss Marvel and Obi-Wan because you had all your content and you blew your load. Like, pardon my French, you blew your load on a month and a half of content And that's really only two months of subscription. And then there's nothing really drawing people to stay on for the next like two months until the D23 when they drop Thor Love and Thunder, right? So there's there's some good with the bad there. I got to say, though, if if this pans out, this is very promising. I'm liking the direction of this. And by the way, that rumor, I heard that one, too, that they pulled uh, Mahershala Ali from the end of uh, Werewolf by Night. So not only did we get the Werewolf by Night trailer, but we also got our first look at Secret Invasion uh, with Nick Fury's back, and we got Agent Hill's back. We got to see our first looks at Amelia Clark and Olivia Coleman in their roles. We now know that Don Cheadle's going to be in the series. But the nice thing about this, and dear DC, I want you to pay attention right now, they didn't give anything away that we didn't already know was going to happen. They didn't give us anything. Like, period. Anything. They gave us Nick Fury, and then they just showed what seemed like completely irrelevant footage. It, like, like, I don't even know the storyline or anything. I don't know a narrative. I don't know anything about what's going on in this series. And it still got me hyped. <laughs> I was about to say, that was my follow-up question to what you were saying, is that knowing nothing more than what you already knew was going to be in. Because we, we knew there was going to be scrolls. We know what Secret Invasion's about. We knew Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark were the biggest names that were entering the MCU for the first time. Um, and yet still... After watching this minute and a half trailer, still not knowing anything more than you already knew, it, it's I'm still excited for it. Yeah, I I'm but, I mean I don't even know how we're supposed to be able to talk about the actual show itself because the footage that we saw, and I know I already said this, but it, it was nothing and something at the same time. Like mm. they're showing Nick Fury, cool. I got. No clarification as to anything. 
Uh, we got Maria Hill. Cool. Great. We know Don Cheadle's in it. Cool. Great. Livy Coleman. Cool. Great. You're in it. Millie Clark. Cool. Great. You're in it. Ben Mendelsohn. We figured he'd be back as Talos. Tal- Talos? Oh, we knew that one, though. We yeah, knew that but one. But we knew that one. Like, th- that's the thing. They showed us nothing and something. And I love that exactly. because a show like this, especially because they had to go back and reshoot an entire episode, which is probably being fast-tracked through one of the Marvel graphics houses right now. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a show like this is probably so narrative driven that if you were to give anything away, there would be a fan out there smart enough to pick up on it and would be able to probably guess the trajectory of the show aside from like a big twist near the end, probably. So I'm glad that they're not telling us anything at all right now and let us just ingest it for the first time Mm. together, please. But the interesting thing is, I mean, we know this show is coming in 2023, so we have a bit to wait for Secret Invasion. When you take a look at how soon we're going to be getting Werewolf by Night, we came very close to a Marvel release without ever seeing a trailer until like now, three weeks before it actually starts streaming. I am still of the mind that somewhere down the road, someone's going to have the big enough basketball size balls to drop a special on a streaming service with no trailer. They almost did it with Ant-Man. Have we ever talked about that on this show? Not yet. No, they almost did it with Ant-Man. Remember that, that um, Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd, and them doing the uh, ants, and they're just like patting themselves on the body. They were doing like a song or something. They were just, just doing it for fun at like one of the shoots. And they're like, mm-hmm. ants, ants, Ant-Man. And that's it. That was one <laughs> of the promos that they used. It was like a 15-second ad, and they just kept cutting to shots of real-life ants and then just title card at the end. <laughs> like, if that's not the best kind of promotion, like just telling you it's going to be funny, it's Paul Rudd, and it's Marvel. That's all I need to know. <laughs> Here is my hope. Here is my hope. And, you know, when when the show is, you know, online and out there, we got to tag him on this one. So here's my here's my personal pitch to Ryan Reynolds. Ooh. Dear Ryan, everything you do works. Seriously, you're like printing money. It's Canadian money. It's very colorful, but you're still printing money. But you have the ability to do something that no one else can. Make a movie and never release a trailer. Oh, you can do viral videos. Get your red, get your Deadpool suit on. Do a little dance in front of the camera. Not on set. Just, just in front of a white screen. Crack a few jokes. Title card at the end. Go for it. Hmm. If anyone can do it. Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool 3 can do it. You can do viral campaigns and not have it show a lick of footage. If any property can do it, it's Deadpool 3. I think it can be done. It's a matter of do they want it to be done? Like breaking records and and view counts and no matter how insignificant it may seem, it's all money in Disney's pocket. And at the end of the day, this Mm -hmm. is a business after all, right? So any form of promotion that goes over well, like look at, for example, 
And I know this is the other half of that where you're getting bad press for something you release. Or not bad press, but you're getting mixed reviews on it. Is the Little Mermaid mm-hmm. footage that we saw at D23. And how the yeah, world... A lot, of, a lot of that's just people, people being racist. You're right. But it is... At the risk of sounding like one of those people, it did strike me on my first viewing as diversity for the sake of diversity. Having said that, I have listened to more of this actress's work and I'm also of the mindset that you cast the best available actor or actress for the role. And she, Mm -hmm. like, I'm hearing the stories where she was the first person they ever auditioned. And the director is telling the story about how uh, it's Halle Bailey and she just blew their socks off right away that he's like, she ruined every other candidate for me. It was just, she killed it so much so that I couldn't listen to anyone else without thinking about, I, I got to call her back. I got to, I got to give her a call back mm-hmm. right now. She's going to take another job. We have to, we have to lock her up right now. We have to get her. And that puts a smile on my face. I'm thinking she's going to really do a good job in this role. And, and her singing alone is, is absolutely incredible. I oh, hope, I hope, those, I hope the naysayers can look past the color of her skin. Mm-hmm. Thank God. The thing is, I mean, like Deadpool 3, you mentioned it's a business and I completely agree. Yes. I'm not saying don't promote the film, but I mean, one of the coolest things about Deadpool 2 was all those little viral ads of, you know, him doing paintings and all that kind of stuff, like like just very Deadpool-esque things to do, yet just don't show a lick of footage. I think there's that would be the one property that could get away with it very, very easily. And people would still line up. And you could also line it up with like Ryan Reynolds promoing like he always does promoing his own stuff. Like you could do like a Wrexham mm-hmm. promo and have him dressed as Drinking Deadpool. Aviation gin. You could do an aviation gin. That's the thing. You could do the. You could bring back those aviation gin versus laughing man coffee commercials with Hugh Jackman. And that would break the internet and you just tag it at the end with Deadpool 3 and you'd have tons of people. Now, I don't know if Marvel would approve of that only on the sole fact of if they're not bringing Hugh Jackman back, you do not want to put him in a promo because you're going to have a lot of people bum hurt about maybe Marvel teasing them with the hope of having Hugh Jackman back rather than giving us like a, a tease for he is coming back and maybe it's just a cameo even. But Hugh Jackman's been appearing in a lot of Ryan Reynolds' no, I'm, stuff I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull back on that one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back because Marvel clearly has a sense of ha-ha these days. They get that they can pretty much print money with Ryan Reynolds' face on it. But, and it's colorful because yeah. it's Canadian. And the, the fact that if Marvel didn't do the one hour Zemo cut of dancing shortly after the hashtag release the Zemo cut, you know, trends started going on, I, I might agree with you. Mm-hmm. But I think they recognize that, you know, Deadpool is the kind of character that could pull that kind of stuff off. Um, but to the same token as well, even if you put Hugh Jackman in as Wolverine, A, it fits that contract clause as part of the Fox purchase that you can't recast the X-Men characters from who was originally cast in them um, 
until I think it was like, what, 2025 or something like that. So eh, Hugh Jackman's still Wolverine, but he doesn't even have to be in the film. He'd just be in the ad campaign. But I mean, Ryan Reynolds' own ad production company has been putting out some phenomenal ads. Like you, you remember the whole uh, Devil Dating 2020 ad, and it was hilarious. Like his ability to tap into the 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 pop culture consciousness with his ad campaigns is second to none. And I think they see that. Right. I agree. I can't, yeah, I can't they agree see that. They, they could recognize that. And trust me, if Ryan Reynolds takes our idea, I don't even want money. I'll take a bottle of aviation gin. I'm fine with that. You're welcome. <laughs> um, let's get back to Marvel news though. Uh, actual Marvel news. Uh, since how Don Cheadle was there to talk about secret wars, he was also there to, sorry, Secret Invasion. He was there to talk about Armor Wars. That's going to get real confusing over the next little while. They still haven't announced where in the phases Armor Wars fits. You have to think it's somewhere in phase six because there's no more room in phase five. We didn't see anything but a new logo. Unless it's a Werewolf by Night type of release. Ah, I don't know. I, I think with Armor Wars, it has to be a okay. phase. I think with 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 uh, the special presentation, you're going to see some of those more out there type characters that don't necessarily fit in the grander MCU or more that maybe they do, right? I could see a special presentation with a Squirrel Girl Thanksgiving and I'd be fine with it. Also, Squirrel Girl Thanksgiving. Yeah. Do it. Make it happen. Right, right now, yeah. everyone's yeah, hashtag like Squirrel Girl Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, Fantastic Four. Surprise <laughs> to no one. Matt Shackman confirmed as the director, but no casting news whatsoever. I wonder if that's going to be Hall H next year. Uh, I think, it, no, no. It's sure, maybe we'll see them in person at Hall H. There's just nothing that slips by. Like even the Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire news slipped out before the movie came out. In the next year, you're going to hear leaks and rumors and reportedly this person signed. This is the role that they could be in. Mm. I have no doubt in my mind that before Hall H next year, we will basically know the cast through rumors and leaks and whatnot, because um, nothing is sacred these days, unfortunately. Yeah. It just sucks. I mean, for... from. For major characters, yeah, I can completely agree. Um, one of the surprises with Loki season two is that Ki uh, Hui Kwan, Kwan I'm, I, I apologize for butchering names here, but but Ki Hui Kwan, uh, who a lot of people remember a short round from Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Doom, uh, was confirmed to be in Loki season two because he was on stage. Um, at, he's cast as a TVA employee, so I don't know if he's you know Owen Wilson's assistant or whatever, but you know the cast was there. I obviously we weren't, so we don't know if they got to see any footage or not. But Loki season two, uh, new cast members, Captain America, New World Order, big news in this one here. Not only did we get the new logo uh, treatment with the wings and the whole works, and the cast was up there, including the leader. I'm sorry. Do you want a reaction? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I, are you not excited for oh the leader coming back? <laughs> I I do I do wonder though. Yes, this I is interesting. This is interesting. I'm because getting vibes though of Kang. I'm I, I'm getting Kang vibes. 
I'm not. But and I do. I let do me know. Wonder. Let me explain why I'm getting Kang vibes. All right, give me your Kang vibe feel. This is why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. At Hall H last year, they announced Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror, and then a few weeks later, we get Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror in the finale of Loki. We are in the middle of She-Hulk, mm-hmm. and they just announced that the leader is coming back. That is my Kang feeling with this. That is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling is because She-Hulk is leading us to believe that Tim Blake Nelson could appear in this series and has just been announced. That's why, like, it wasn't really, like, it wasn't, like, a crazy big, like, usually Kevin Feige for, like, the bigger reveals is, like, and for the first time, this guy, and he'll, like, do a big, like, announcement where he's very energetic the whole bit. And then with this one, it was just kind of, and reprising his role, Tim Blake Nelson as the leader. And it was just kind of a, an announcement. Mm. Like, he had already been working with him for a while. Like, he knew the Jonathan Majors one was, like, a big announcement. But this one, he just kind of said his name. And that's what, that's what kind of tipped me off. I'm like, I... Feel like he's been working for Marvel for a little bit now. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: then. Yeah. If if the leader does show up in She-Hulk now, does the D twenty three appearance of him on stage take away from the <gasps> moment? Yes, it still does. Like, I mean, how did you feel for the Loki finale? We had known, we knew that Jonathan Majors was in the MCU mm. at that point. I, it's different though. Right. In that you don't necessarily tie Kang in with Loki, even though they're talking a whole lot of multiversal stuff. So, you know, in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, Kang in Loki still kind of came a little bit of left field until, you know, you you get there and then it it all makes sense. But we're talking a She-Hulk series and Tim Blake Nelson shows up on stage at D23 as the leader yeah, you're you're right. It it makes more sense to have the leader in a She-Hulk show than it did to have Kang in a TVA show. Having said that, if you knew the comics and if you had read the comics, the TVA uh, based stories, Kang is usually the guy behind mm-hmm. it. So people could theorize. But what threw us off at that time is that he had been announced. Jonathan Majors was announced as Kang the Conqueror. For Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, he was not said to be in Loki. He was not in the plans to be in Loki. But what had happened was, it was later on in the process when they knew they got Jonathan Majors, that they rewrote the finale of Loki to include mm-hmm. him, to really set up uh, the Kang Dynasty and Secret yeah, I, Wars. I just, I really wish we could have that moment, like we had in WandaVision, when Evan Peters shows up on the doorstep and people lost their minds. It's like, oh, he's back. And he said, sis. And it's like, and then of course it turned out to be a boner joke, but it's, we had that, that surprise, you know, we, we yeah, did was really not cool. expect that, you know, the potential of a Quicksilver returning. We didn't expect it to be Evan Peters. It was such a huge surprise but for the leader to show up on stage at D23 and in the middle of a She-Hulk run, like if he doesn't show up, 
in episode, you know, in the next episode, it's going to feel like, okay, and now you're just spoiling it for the end. And it takes away the excitement. Um, not the excitement for New World Order, because not only do we have Falcon, we got the leader, but we also have Shira Haas joining the cast as the Israeli superhero Sabra which, of course, expands our global Avengers. Um, what are your thoughts on putting her into this? I like it. I, I, It's interesting. I don't have thoughts specifically on her, but the ensemble, like the group that they did announce, the cast in general, like I wasn't surprised Sam Wilson, obviously. I wasn't surprised that they have uh, that new Falcon character, Danny... Mm-hmm. Uh, something Rod- Rodriguez or something. I don't know. I know he, he has a Latino yeah, but, background. But he comes over from the, um, from I, the first season, the so it's all name. good. Yeah, because they've set that up. They set up Carl Lumbly as um, Isaiah Bradley, and his son is supposed to take over as Patriot. And I wonder if they're locking down him maybe to come back and make it a bit of an origin story um, for Elijah Bradley. I think that would be really cool. But this ensemble, interestingly enough... I didn't see Sebastian Stan in there. Well, no. <laughs> and obviously, we know what property he is going to be in because that's now common knowledge. But we'll get to we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, the the Sabra character intrigued me. I I'm I just want to double back here. I, the leader that's that's a character that I'm not. If you had asked me name like 10 villains for the next Captain America movie. And it's going to be Sam Wilson as Captain America. You could have even said it was Steve Rogers as Captain America. It wouldn't have mattered. The leader wouldn't have been on my list. It's so far out of left field. He's definitely a Hulk character and very gamma oriented. And Sam Wilson is so not. He was offered PEDs in his last appearance, in his last show. Um, and, and he turned it down. So I'm I'm just wondering how this story fits. They have the characters. If it's well written, this could be a hell of a story. Everything remains to be seen. Although I will say, and we talked about this in previous episodes, how you know we're now getting superheroes popping up all over the world. Um, I just keep hearing this line from the the, the cartoon series Harvey Birdman Attorney of Law. Uh, and it's when they were kind of making fun of the whole super friends thing. And it's like the multiculture pals. I'm like, Oh God, we're getting the multiculture pals in the MCU. Like, <laughs> it, it, I think it's great. I think it's great that, that we're having a lot of diversity in the MCU, but it just feels like the multiculture pals and it's, it's good, but I'm going to have to remember not to hear that line in my head. Every time I, I see it. Um, speaking of a team, that's probably not pals, the Thunderbolts, were announced and we've we've pontificated over who could be in the thunderbolts we got some of them right and we got some of them wrong let's go through the list here obviously they're you know valentina is the you know the the field operative i guess if you will but we've got ghost red guardian u.s agent winter soldier taskmaster and being yet led by yelena belova your thoughts on this group of Thunderbolts. Initial thoughts. I'm intrigued. Three super soldiers on the same roster. I feel like there's, uh, it's amazing how you and I, and just the last topic alone, we're talking about multicultural friends and diversity. 
and now we have three people on the team with the same Super power Super Soldier Serum Pals. Yeah, like, I agree with Yelena Belova being the lead, the, the, the kind of director or the orchestrator or the leader of that group. Um, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I didn't, I didn't count Red Guardian in that. That was the one thing that really threw me off. I love David Harbour. Um, I, and, and I wanted to see more of his character. I just didn't know what was the next property for him. But the one thing I think all of these characters have in common, and I'm bringing it all the way back to Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, is that they all have red in their ledger and they're looking to wipe Mm -hmm. it out. And that's the big thing is Bucky went on that redemption tour in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yelena Belova has been doing some shady shit. Red Guardian wasn't all good as a hero. Obviously, we catch up with him in prison in the Black Widow movie. Ghost was doing some shady shit and realized that because she was being very self-centered. U.S. agent may not have a redemption arc because he kind of went through it, but he's also still kind mm-hmm. of an asshole. Um, so who knows? He's he's very rah-rah America and, and very military and all that stuff. So we'll see. And then Taskmaster, I, I mean, Olga wasn't there. I think her character is due for redemption. And I really do think that this can be her opportunity to really shine in mm. that role. And I'm really, I'm really hoping I, I was hoping for her in the daredevil series, but I, I will happily take yeah. this. She deserves another crack at the can. And I'm really hoping that Taskmaster is the best character in this movie. I, I love Bucky as well, though. But I, I really hope Taskmaster gets their fair shake in this this uh, installment. Yeah. Um, the Marvels was one of the last properties that they talked about. And they showed some footage. We didn't get to see it. Uh, Goose the Cat is back. Um, it further confirmed how much of a super fan Amon Vellani was. But I need to bring this up. And that Brie Larson was on the yep. red carpet. And someone asked her, you know, how long do you see yourself playing Captain Marvel? And the response that she gave was, I don't know if anyone really wants me to keep playing it. I, 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 I need to put this out there, right? Because, you know, oh, geez. you know, we crack jokes every now and then on the show and we really crap on DC a lot. But I think that's more we're crapping more on Warner Brothers Discovery than, you know, necessarily the actors or the directors of the properties themselves. Brie Larson is a good Captain Marvel. She really is. And I get it may not be what some people had in mind for Captain Marvel. But these actors, Brie Larson, Simu Liu, every every actor that has jumped off of Twitter and Instagram, they are working their ass off to bring to the screen these characters that we grew up in love if you're sitting here bitching and moaning about brie larson as captain marvel or about uh, a black little mermaid put your phone down Put your damn phone down put the keyboard away and appreciate the fact that we live in an age where a company like Disney is putting bank behind these properties and making 
our childhood characters come to life. And whether you agree with who they put in those roles or not, appreciate the work, appreciate the commitment, and appreciate them. Because you know what? No one deserves the shit that some of these actors and directors get thrown at them. Brie Larson doesn't deserve that. So you know what? I'm just putting this out there. Brie Larson can play Captain Marvel as long as she damn well wants to. That role is hers. Period. You don't like it? Fuck off. I also, I have no idea how they would ever even kill her you off. You can't. Like, she's, a, she's a superhuman battery, her yeah. character is. So you can never replace her. You would just have to... And I, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you on this, man. I I'm not a fan of uh, of pushing people out that you don't like. I think we need to try and find positives in things that maybe rub yeah. us the wrong way. And I think it's I, for the most part, what I read and and hear about on Twitter is that they don't have an issue with her playing Carol Danvers. I think it's an issue with Brie Larson herself. But it's also not a super popular opinion anymore. I think it's it's a small group of people who bitch about a lot more than yeah, just that. I mean, like so, it, yeah. I mean, you you saw Millie Alcock talking about how it is really hard to you know to hear all the negative and even all the positive as well. Like there, there's a lot out there, and I realized that we spent the first part of this show talking about House of the Dragon and and singing her praises, well-deserved. But the fact that some of these actors and directors and athletes are now finally starting to push back, stepping away from the noise and focusing on their mental health. Should have happened a long time ago. But bravo to the brave ones who are stepping up and, and taking care of them. And when they decide to come back, like seemingly you, it will be happily welcomed back. Kudos to them for for thinking about their their mental health. We still got a lot. We still got a lot to talk about, though. So I'm gonna get off my soapbox here. Yes, we Uh, do. Star Wars. Speaking speaking of a warm welcome back, welcoming back to the screen, Cassie Mm, and yes, and we got more footage. Um, we're getting that show oh, soon yeah, like next week. And I, I gotta say, I'm really excited for it. I'm just worried about one thing and I'm going to pass it by you. Cause I want to ask you how you feel about this. And my opinion with this show is that the trailers look promising. It looks like the birth of a rebellion. We're getting a lot of characters that either we've been itching to see more of, or that we've been hoping that they would return because they popped off the screen. Having said that, I always have an issue with revisiting characters where there's little to no stakes. We know Mon Mothma is not going to die in this series. We know Sagarera is not going to die in this series. We know Cassian Andor does not die in this series. We know K2SO, if he dies in the series, we know he's coming back. Wiss, how do you feel about a show like this that shows promise with little stakes to our main group. I think the key thing with this series is not necessarily going to be um, 
following the characters per se. Because, I mean, admittedly, yes, Cassie Nandor, Mon Mothma, um, like these, these are all characters that um, are great and love to continue their story. But we're at the beginning of the rebellion. And I want to flash back to um, Terminator 2. We saw a little bit of it in the first Terminator, but really we got to see a lot of it in Terminator 2. Is that that opening scene, seeing the humans fighting the Terminators, that was badass. Like, just badass. And I know Terminator Salvation is not exactly the most light of Terminator films. I personally loved it. And it was really cool to have a film based entirely in the future so we can see what the you know the rise of skynet brought us and then you take bumblebee and that opening scene on cybertron oh so cool i want to see the beginning of cassie and andor's story like rogue one came out of left field and became one of the best star wars movies of all time he's a major part of that Mon Mothma has been one of those almost very mysterious characters because she's been there, but we haven't really delved into her story. I think that's going to be the more interesting aspect is learning more about Mon Mothma, seeing how she became as important as someone like Leia. Like it's, and the funny thing is, what was the joke they made? You ever seen the family guy, Star Wars uh, oh, those, it's been a while. Episodes. <laughs> I know, oh, yeah. but you've seen them. I remember when Lois walks in as uh, Princess Leia, and who is it? It's uh, Han Solo, as played by Peter Griffin. Um, he goes, he sees Mon Mothman. And he goes, "Hey, look, a chick! It's the only other chick in the galaxy." <laughs> <laughs> and Leia goes, "I don't like her." Like, it, it got me thinking. I'm like, "Oh my god, they are at this point. They are the only two chicks in the galaxy. Maybe Amperu." <laughs> But everyone's everyone was a guy yeah, at that much. point. It was crazy. It makes you think. But it's interesting because I remember when the first teaser trailer dropped for Andor, and you were a little lukewarm on it at first. So, yeah, it, probably for the same reasons. But then the second trailer came out and it looked a lot grander. It was the birth of the rebellion. I got better vibes from it. But I'm still having the same concerns. I mean, if it maintains the quality. Of storytelling that the Mandalorian and Obi Wan has, and then we're in good hands. We're in very good hands. But we got some more Star Wars than just that. First things first: Tales of the Jedi animated shorts. Same crew that did Clone Wars and the Bad Batch. Um, I noticed that they didn't mention Rebels in, in that in that opening little bit. Um, but we're going to get shorts. We're going to get some smaller stories. So we're going to get some early Count Dooku. We're going to get some early Ahsoka, which I think is probably very timely seeing how the Ahsoka series is coming up. Um, but what were your thoughts seeing that uh, Tales of the Jedi trailer? I I don't have... Um, I'm looking at the next like few things that we have in a row here for Star Wars. I'm... With Star Wars, I feel like... And maybe that's just the way my brain's hardwired. I'm not as eager to break down the footage. Like, I'll see it and I'll be like, okay, that's cool. But I don't know why my brain does that thing for Marvel stuff and for DC stuff where I want to break down each shot. I I saw the Tales of the Jedi trailer. I thought it was Mm -hmm. strong. 
I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it. It looks great. I love the young Count Dooku stuff. Like, give me more of that. I think that's really, that's a really cool um, concept that we only ever get teased in Attack of the mm-hmm. Clones. So I, I, I'm enjoying that. I'm liking the Ahsoka origin too. They're going hard into that, which I don't blame them at all as they've hit it out of the ballpark with the casting of Rosario Dawson as the adult Ahsoka. Um, I, I, I think this is an, a promising series to tell stories that otherwise wouldn't be told. And you can do it in animated form, which means we can bring back voice actors from the successful animated shows and we don't need to lock up big contracts with big name actors we can just tell stories and i actually thought after watching that trailer i thought you know what they may not do it this season but if ever they wanted to bring back mace windu this might be the episode or the show tales of the jedi to show mace windu making it out from Coruscant if they ever wanted to show obviously he's missing an arm he's been electrocuted like there's there's going to be some damage to Sam Jackson if he ever wants to come back and do live action Mm. I think he does Um, but this would be the platform I thought Tales of the Jedi to possibly tell that story and that's the interesting thing man I I love the prospect of this show just um, is that they can do do things. It's like the what if for, mm. for Marvel. Tales of the Jedi is like that, except for it's all in the same universe, but they can expand on stuff. They can give us the Rogue One, the Solo, a Star Wars story. They can give us that in short yeah. form. I love it. I, I'm, I'm loving the and prospect I do love the fact that they brought back Ashley Eckstein to do the voice of Ahsoka, uh, and they actually mm-hmm. brought her in to host the, uh, the, the Disney D23 recaps on Disney+. Plus. So, you know, I know there was there was a little bit of pushback when Rosario Dawson got cast, even though it was like, yeah, but we like we, we like her as Ahsoka as well. But to see Ashley Eckstein still getting to come back and play in the Disney world, great, that's awesome. Uh, and then the Mandalorian season three trailer dropped, and oh god, like bring on yeah. all the Mandalorians! Um, but I'm I'm gonna put this out there. I'm 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 making a I'm calling my shot right now. Uh oh! Don't say it. Grief Karga doesn't survive season three. Oh my god! He said it. He said it. I said it, and I wrote it in the notes. It's in it's in ink. That's my call. Grief Karga doesn't survive season three. Look, I love what Carl Weathers has done with this character. I love it absolutely. But I think the stakes need to come up. Because we can't have every season Mando shows up at whatever planet and, you know, does the whole, like, arm grab with Grief Karga. Third time's the charm. He's got to go. And it has nothing to do with anything except that I think there needs to be some more separation for for the Mandalorian from his bounty hunter life. Because right now he's on a quest to to rediscover how to regain his standing as a Mandalorian in regards to, you know, his his creed of Mandalorians. Mandalorians, for the most part, do make a living like being bounty hunters when they're past their prime and have no cause really or or have no clan anymore. As as we've seen here with Din Djarin, he has been... Uh, renounced from the Mandalorian creed, mm. so to speak. But but we can tell that he's trying to work his way back in. Uh, I was going to use the word weasel, but I, I think he's actually going to put in the work. 
I have to say, though, the Grief Karga thing, the theory, is intriguing to me. Because if your former life is a bounty hunter, it means you've either done favors for people or have people that owe you favors. And I feel like throughout this show, that's the one thing they can always kind of go back to, is if they ever need a MacGuffin or something to explain why somebody does something, it can always be Din Djarin calling in a favor. So I think we're not done with the bounty hunter storyline. Having said that, they have left themselves open to an emotional departure. Mm. Because in the first season, they had, not IG-88, it was IG-11. Taika Waititi's character, he sacrificed himself to help get them out. Which, yes, it's a droid, but we also had him for two or three episodes, so we're kind of emotionally invested in him. So there's your sacrificial lamb in one of the last few episodes. In the second season, we didn't really need that as the point in the story where somebody maybe should have died we got a cameo from a certain skywalker yeah that broke the internet and distracted us from the fact that that was basically the end of the episode when he showed up because <laughs> it was really like it was like a new hope all over again yeah. right so it was um They've left themselves open to do that in this. Oh, right? absolutely. Is, is is to emotionally invest us. In. Now, Grief Karga has been in enough of the Mandalorian show and has spent enough time with Grogu that I feel like it would hit us if he were to sacrifice himself or make a sacrifice play. I don't know. What do you? What do you I think? don't know if it's a sacrifice. I. I but- <clears throat> oh, you just you just think he's straight up getting yammed? Absolutely, but I think his de- I think his Jeez. death acts as motivation for for Dinjarin. as motivation. Mm. I don't know. I don't think he's that yeah. person. Or the, keep in mind too, right? You go back to that first season. It was Dinjarin. It was Grief Karga trying to stop Dinjarin from taking the child off of the planet and it was the other Mandalorians that came in and helped him and then next thing you know all the Mandalorians of that of that creed were killed and then season two you know or sorry Book of Boba Fett shows up and you know we've got the you know the the the, discount blacksmith Mandalorian you know on some kind of you know space station in the middle of nowhere um, trying, mm-hmm. you know, with very few members of their 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 Mandalorian tribe left, and we and we know right. from what you know when we saw Katie Sackhoff and and her, you know, her group of Mandalorians that, that you know there's there's definitely a um a a difference in in the way they see the way of the Mandalorian. Like you can take your helmet off, it's okay. Um, like. I don't know who's the zealot and who's the who's the, the the more pure Mandalorian, but I think that may come into play. And that that collision between ideologies within the Mandalorian way may be what gets Grief Karga killed. And in that right. ideological battle, that could be what sparks the decisions that Din Djarin makes going down the road. That would make sense. Okay question for you Mm -hmm. i'm gonna list off a few names you give me a yes or a no will they appear in season three of the mandalorian okay all right all right i'll I'll give you i'll give you a few answers okay you can say yes likely unlikely or no okay okay boba fett unlikely 
Okay. Cobb Vanth. Refresh my memory on this one. He's the guy who runs Freetown. He was near killed by Cad Bane and then was found in a back to tank in the post credit scene in Jabba's palace or now Boba Fett's palace. Again, unlikely. Not you know if if there's no Boba Fett, then there's there's I don't know how much of that's going to carry over into the Mandalorian season three. Luke Skywalker. Nope. <laughs> that's a hard. That's note. a hard nope. Fennec Shand. That's a likely, and I say that because you have to think that Boba Fett's going to stay on Tatooine. And I know we have said in past episodes of this podcast where you know it's kind of nice to get away from Tatooine. Right. And Andor looks like it's staying away from Tatooine, which is good. Um, and Obi-Wan, you know, Obi-Wan started and ended on Tatooine. Um, I'd like to see a series where we'd never see Tatooine. But I know we're not going to I know we're not going to get that because we, you know, we, we see the the mechanic and, and her, you know, cadre of droids that that she's the comic relief but yeah yeah um snoke nope ben solo (sighs) no because because at this point in the timeline i don't even know if ben solo's alive oh he's alive not very old He, he would probably be an infant i don't know i i'm spitballing here i'm trying to just throw names out there um Trying to think, what would another good one be? Obviously, we know, we know. Uh, oh, how about this one then? Do you think Thrawn will That's show up in this, the in this series? That's the one that I was going to mention. Because if you remember, it was season two when Ahsoka showed up, and we got the "Where is Thrawn?" And I don't, and I don't yeah. know if it needs to be more than just an episode. So you think we need to catch up with Ahsoka? I, I do, and I don't. I don't think we need to catch up with Ahsoka, but I think Din Djarin needs to encounter Thrawn, and when he finds out who he is, and if he's talking to him, it's like, Thrawn, I know someone who's looking for you, or mm. or doesn't even say that to him. Just gets on his ship, you know, dials up Ahsoka, says, "I have information you need." And if he ever says that line, "I know someone who's looking for you," you know he can come back with. And I have someone who's looking for that and just point at Grogu. Mm-hmm. And it'll be their sly way of knowing that they're both on different sides. Exactly. Um, but they're but they're able to toe that line. That's the thing. That's always been the fun thing about following a bounty hunter story is that they're able to toe the line between logic and fighting. Like there's there's a there's a bit of a dance that you can do in your vocabulary. Um, I, I don't even know if this is making sense, but you know what I'm what I'm kind of referencing here when you're talking with someone and you're not trying to be overly confrontational, but you're being somewhat coy mm-hmm. that you have ulterior motives and that there is there's other things in the works. Well, so it's kind of like you're tipping your hand, but you're kind of being cocky at the same time. Well, I, I don't know. That's what I was trying to keep in mind at. too. the background of Thrawn, or at least one of the aspects of Thrawn's character is that he's able to determine um, what people of a species are likely to do in battle by studying their art. And I have a feeling Thrawn would be the kind of person that has pieces of art from Mandalore. And it would be a fascinating way to examine more of the 
the history and the difference in ideologies between the different sects of the Mandalorians through Thrawn's analysis. Yeah, that's it'll be an interesting thing. I wonder how they're going to do Thrawn. Like he's such an interesting character and he's so smart. He's kind of like like we were talking about this character earlier on with the Marvel segment, how the leader and how he's very much a always scheming, always three steps ahead. That's pretty much who Thrawn is. Like he's very calculative manipulating he's just always on top of every situation he's got backup plans on backup plans and he's just a a terrific villain like arguably arguably like a top three star wars villain obviously darth vader's number one Mm -hmm. but thrawn is like he's up there man like that's that's a crazy good uh villain great character hopefully he's well written if anyone is playing five-dimensional chess in the in the star wars lore it's Thrawn. And I would love, I mean, I'm going to put this right now. If any of the episodes of The Mandalorian Season 3 in the credits say written by Timothy Zahn, I'm losing oh. my ish. Or even <clears throat> even consulting producer Timothy yeah. Zahn would, would get me very Characters excited. created by Timothy Zahn. Yes. Oh, dear God. And because Timothy Zahn well, is... Well, you know that's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Timothy Zahn is, you know, I, I have no problem saying this. Timothy Zahn is one of my favorite authors of all time. Time. And it's not even just a Star Wars work. I have read far too many Timothy Zahn books to even count. And the fact that, that we're on the cusp of Thrawn showing up in live action Star Wars. Yeah. I, and it'll be Lars Mikkelsen showing up as uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. No, no, no. It'll be Alexander Skarsgård. No, no, no. <laughs> Having said that, I have no I have no segue to the next thing. Listen, I got one more piece of news. Bad Batch season two is hitting uh hitting your Disney Plus in January. That looks like a promising show. I got nothing else to say yeah. about that. I don't know if you want to. Do you have anything to comment that, on? It, we'll t- we'll comment on that in January. Uh, two other yeah. big th- big things came out of D twenty three. At least as far as our audience would go, the Willow trailer. Uh, I mean, I think this looks great. You know, I, I do. Uh, Joanne, we- uh, Joanne Whaley is coming back as Sorsha. Christian Slater's been announced to join the cast, but the role's not been mentioned yet. But, uh, but here's a question, though. We've mentioned on this show that you and I are of, how do I put this gently, different vintages, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and I ain't talking about what we're drinking. But Willow came out when I was in my... So <laughs> it's interesting to me. So I'm curious your standpoint seeing this Willow trailer. Like, how are you excited for it? Or are you just mildly curious about it? I, I'm not going to lie. I could care less. I could care less. So I do wonder if if this is going to be well received or if it's just a nostalgia property it's a nostalgia is it going straight to disney it is plus going straight to disney plus yes it's a nostalgia property yeah 100 percent. they're not doing a theatrical release it's not it's not i think when they just put stuff to disney plus they know their demographic and they know that it doesn't do as well as if they just put it right into your home hmm 
Like the Marvel stuff, they have to put in theaters because that stuff makes billions. It is a money maker. They make way more putting it in theaters than they would just dropping it. Even even the way they did with Black Widow, where you had to pay for it, like they make so much more money doing it in theaters. But Willow would it would probably flop. Yeah, like to to their standards. But that being said, you still have to feed the machine that is Disney Plus. You have to feed feed the machine. Yeah, feed it like it's Seymour and Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, and then Indiana Jones Five. Harrison Ford gets a massive ovation on stage. I mean, listen to this cast, right? Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen, Toby Jones, Antonio Banderas, John Reese davies You know, same question. Indiana Jones Five. Are are you excited for another another trip down Indiana Jones Road, or are you skeptical based on the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Is Kate uh, Blanchett coming back? I don't think so. No. Is uh, Shia LaBeouf coming back? Fuck no. Okay, yeah, this might be a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is great. She is. Matt Mikkelsen is, we know, is great. Toby Jones coming over from the MCU. That's good. Antonio Banderas. Like, just put him in anything. He's puss. In boots. In boots. Puss in boots isn't as good as it is without Antonio Banderas. Um, But that is the D23 news. Okay. Um, If I'm putting it out there, what is... one thing that stands out from all of D23, what was like the the big, you know, hair standing up on the back of your neck moment from the from the news that came out? It was probably because I got to watch. So I was one of the lucky, maybe it's just a handful of people, but I didn't actually see the lineup. I didn't see a picture of the lineup for Thunderbolts. I clicked on a YouTube link that says Marvel unveils their Thunderbolts lineup. And I got to watch it for the first time as if I was there. And that was hair standing up on my neck because obviously we know don't call me Val was in it. We know that she's orchestrating it, but every name that came after that, especially starting with David Harbor, I was like, what the shit? Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know that's what he's going to appear in next. Um, and then everything that came after it, even Bucky, I was a little surprised at that. But you know what? Now that I've had time to digest it, it makes sense. And I think that was that was the big thing. It, and also, it's a huge piece of controversy right now, too, because there's a lot of fans. Now that we've got Emil Blonsky back and we had a series with um, Zemo, that they're like, why don't we have these mainstays from the comic book team on the on this roster? I think it, I think that's a give it time. Give it time. I because, think, yeah, I, I could see yes. Thunderbolts <clears throat> being used a bit more. I'm, you think there'll be a Thunderbolts too? Oh, it has to be. There has to be, and hmm. I think some people aren't going to make it through Thunderbolts. Okay, looking at you, Red Guardian. Ooh, he, I mean, he has the motivation. It is his daughter that's the leader exactly. of the team. And as as yeah. much as I, I said that Grief Karga is not going to be a sacrificial death in, Mandal- in Mandalorian season three, Red Guardian should be a sacrificial death in the Thunderbolts in order to protect Yelena Belova. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Although I, I don't think, because uh, I'm a big Stranger Things fan, I don't think I can handle David Harbour like offing himself to save somebody 
so many times because he's such a great actor and such a gift to this generation. But if someone's I, death is going to be impactful in that series, it's oh, him. He would just, he would do it justice. I, I'm not looking forward to it, but I am. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very mixed. About I mean, it. for me, as, as much as all the Marvel news came out, seeing Mandalorian season three trailer come out, <clears throat> you know me, you know, I'm a Star Wars guy. So, yeah. and you know how much I've been appreciating the Mandalorian series. So to see that trailer and to get, be able to get back into that world, I'm all for it. Um, but it's almost time. Actually, no, it's time. It's time. This week, it's FanCast Friday. It's time for FanCast Friday. That's right. It is FanCast Friday. Now, I mentioned in the first block that there was some DC news that I was I was holding back. I was holding something back from you people. I have to admit. But now it's, it's sharing is caring time here. Whoa, you people. Wow. You people. Yeah, I went there. Are you Don Cherry? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Although, that being said, I question the judgment of anyone that listens to us for over an hour and a half. So, you know, <laughs> just putting it out there. Jeez. We appreciate you, but we also question your, your listening choices. Um, in a tweet... James Gunn was asked if Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn, will return to the DCEU. And his one word response was yes. Hmm. And I'm not surprised because Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn has been one of the bright spots in the DCEU. I think everyone agrees on that one. So we pontificated that if if. Harley Quinn is going to get another DCEU entry, it would make sense to pair her up with one Poison Ivy. So the question became, who should be cast alongside Margot Robbie as Poison Ivy? Kev, you want to go first? I would love to. I would really love to. Um, only because I've been itching every time we do a fan cast Friday and it is a female character. I am itching to try and get her into some kind of property. And I think this is the perfect role for a young Sadie sink because she is super hot right now. Like everybody loves her from stranger things. Everyone's asking her, even though her character basically got absolutely murdered and then brought back to life or something at the end of the last season of stranger things, like everyone's like, okay, you're definitely coming back, right? Like, come on, we all want you to come back. Like everyone is very on the Sadie sink train. She was in the whale with Brendan Fraser recently. Um, and that got super emotional at TIFF, but she is just, a wonder and a redhead. So that helps. Well, we both picked redheads, but <laughs> yeah, she, she, she's kind of ginger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it always helps a little bit when you can, when you can pick the redhead. Cause then you may not need a wig. They're probably still going to wear wigs or something, but then you don't yeah. mirror well, yourself. Yeah. You know, there's a thing called hair dye, right? Um, the thing is with Sadie sake is that I know there's a rumor out there that she has already been cast into the MCU. Ooh. Um, I, would love to see Sadie Sink alongside Iman Vellani in the role of Squirrel Girl. Ooh. She would be a phenomenal Squirrel Girl. But I agree this. If you if you said tomorrow that Sadie Sink is Poison Ivy, you'd be like, yeah, I can get behind that. <laughs> but then under my breath, I would say, but you should have picked Madeline Pesh. 
Mm. Now, I know we kind of, you know, not spoke ill of, but spoke indifferently of Riverdale. Mm-hmm. But Madeline Pesh walked onto that screen and owned pretty much every moment that she was in. Like, I agree with that. You, yeah. can't, you, you can't argue that as the, you know, like, I, again, there, there have been some phenomenal castings in Riverdale, but I want, I, I'm going to allow you to picture Madeline Pesh as Poison Ivy because she did a photo spread for PETA dressed in lettuce. Oh, man. Talking about being a vegan. However, that being said, if you take a look at it, you can sit there and say, hey, you know what? It kind of looks like poison ivy should look like. I mean, with an actual costume instead of just lettuce. But tell me. Go ahead. Look up Madeline Pesh Pita. Take a look at that photo and tell me you don't see the beginnings of what could be a DCEU poison ivy. Hey, I hear you. I think she's a strong candidate. I think we're both right. Haven't said that once. (laughs) Having said that, um, (laughs) odds, odds are neither of us are going to be right. It is going to be a party on the show the day one of us actually gets our fan cast Friday to actually come to fruition. Yeah. We're batting over right now in pretty much everything. But that being said, one of these days, law of averages, uh, the infinite monkey rule says that one of us has to be right at some point. And if we're right on one of these, whether it be Madeline Pesh or Sadie Sink as Poison Ivy, uh, that is worthy of celebration. But who do you think should be Poison Ivy alongside a Margot Robbie Harley Quinn. Hit us up on Twitter at Another Nerd Show or on Instagram at Another Nerd Show. Uh, Kev, how excited are you for Andor next week? I'm very excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) Three episodes they're dropping on us on Wednesday. That's a big deuce. (laughs) That is a, no, that's a big Trezos. Trezos. Trezos? It's a big Trezos. <laughs> it's, it's a Trezos. Yeah. Uh, so next week, we're going to be talking She-Hulk. We're going to be talking House of the Dragon. We're going to be talking three episodes of Andor. We are now in the 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 plethora level of content to, to talk about. Um, so, so, so excited. Uh, so until next week, Kev. Awesome as always. Listeners, thank you ever so much for listening to us wherever you are listening to us, whether it be on Apple, Spotify, um, iTunes, uh, Podchaser, Good Pods, whatever the case may be. Drop us a comment. We want to hear from you guys. We want to know that you guys are enjoying what we're putting out there. And if you happen to hit a five-star review, we're cool with that too. So until next week, I'm Jay. He's Kev. This is Just Another Nerd Show. We'll see you next week when we talk about all the geek that there is to speak. See ya.